All right. Time, baby. Oh, my God. the real star. I'm just his hype man. In your face section with Pete Cabrera Jr. Oh, Jesus, baby. Yeah. Come on. Hey, guys. My name is Pete Cabrera Jr. with Royal Family International University and School of Identity and Lifestyle. And today, we're going to be talking about Bahor, the firstborn, and what does that mean? And why is it that we don't understand this from a Western perspective as Christians? And why is this so vital? It is so vital because it talks about us carrying the values of our Father. And what ends up happening is we get into the whole grace part of who God is, and we leave out the part that we have a responsibility as the first, the first fruits of Christ. And that's what all this is about. We're going to talk about that today. Yes, sir. So, guys, hey, one thing that we need to know um, about the way the foundation of the gospel is laid out is we have to understand God's plan, right? And God's plan, as we all know, in Genesis chapter one, we know that he created the heavens and the earth. And then, you know, we know that on the sixth day, he created this guy named Adam. And Adam is a son, which is the first born of all creation. We know that the first one was made in the image of God. And the second one is the Christ who now lives in the spirit. So we have two sons. We have the firstborn and then we have the second. And we know that scripture talks about that the um, that the older will serve the younger. If you know the story of Jacob and Esau, you, the story keeps playing itself. It plays itself over and over and over and over. We have the old man, the new man. We have Pharaoh. We have Moses. We have these two kingdoms. We have the kingdom of darkness. We have the kingdom of light. We have the firstborn. That's uh, the scripture talks about in Exodus. And God tells uh, Moses to tell Pharaoh that Israel's my firstborn son. And it's like, why is this so important? And so I'm going to talk about all that, right? Well, here's what's very interesting. Um, when you when you talk about the story of Exodus, when you talk about Moses, we find out that the people of God have been enslaved for 430 years. They're in Egypt and uh, they become slaves to Pharaoh. And we know that it's very vital that the way the Bible is written is that God created man with a purpose. And our purpose was to uh, subdue the earth, right? And to have dominion. And our purpose was to bring the kingdom of God here with the understanding that God is our father. And we, as the children of God, would carry the values and the honor and the purpose of our father. Now, this gets lost in the sauce. And, and, and you know, my wife and I have this talk a lot because, you know, we go to certain places, we go to certain um, institutional churches, we hear certain sermons, and we talk a lot about the grace of God and how good God is and how he just loves us so much. And, and we talk about that a lot. And sometimes we get into this conversation like, okay, but where, where's the honor at? Like, do we, are we going to move on beyond the grace of God and moving into just honoring God? How about we talk about the values of God? How about we move on to becoming stewards of the family of God, like stewards of what it is that we've been given. And sometimes that gets lost because we talk about the power of God. We talk about the healing of God. We talk about all these things of God. And in the midst of it all, we lose the character of God. We lose the character of what it is to be a child of God. And so what I want to show you is in Exodus, we hear about they're enslaved to, to Pharaoh and Pharaoh is basically the father of, of it's he's the 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 head 
of the people of God. Pharaoh becomes their God. We know because he ends up, the 10th plague is killing uh, Pharaoh's firstborn son, which is the Behor, which is the, the one who gets the inheritance that carries the family lineage, the family name. And, and basically, um, the Behor is the traditional figure. He's the bridge between the father and the other siblings. And so, this is the understanding when we read scripture that everything's being handed down. We've got Abraham, we got Isaac, we got Jacob, we got Jacob ends up wrestling with God. He becomes Israel. Now Israel is the firstborn son. And so these values are supposed to be brought into the people of God, which is very interesting because the question that I was asked recently was why are the Levites, the ones that are, that are the priests, the ones that are, you know, basically the priesthood of, of the people of God. And if you, if you read an Exodus, you find out that, you know, the people of God in the desert are worshiping the golden calf. And Moses said, who's with God. And we know that it's the Levites are the only ones who didn't bow down. They're the only ones that didn't serve the, the calf. And they become the ones who now are the, 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 um, the bridge between God and the people. And so there's this values that come from the throne of God to the Levites into the people. Now, that's what a Bahor is. A Bahor is someone who gets the double portion. You guys know the story, guys. We forget about this. You know, Elijah and Elijah, if you haven't heard the teaching on that, guys. Yes, I pushed record, Angela. Thank you. It is. Everybody always says that. I don't know. For some reason, I'm always forgetting to do that. But thank you, Angela. I did push record. If you've heard this in the circles with Christians, right, you hear about give us a double portion of your spirit. That is talking about making him a son. Now, we know Elijah had a school because he had followers. Now, Elijah needed a successor who was going to be Elisha. If you guys know the story, uh, Elisha wants to um, basically destroy the people that are coming against God. In fact, Elisha calls down fire because there's this drought that ends up hitting the people of God because they're worshiping Baal. And you guys know the story. What ends up happening is later on, he goes to the mountain and he wants to destroy uh, the enemies of God. And he tells them that it's going to happen through another king, pagan king, a Jewish king, and Elisha. And so we know that Elisha is going to be a successor. So when Elisha tells him, give me a double portion of your spirit, what he's telling him is that make me a son and everything that was given to you, take me on as a son and I will carry you to the next level, right? I will take it further. That's what that means. That's why when the, the chariot shows up, Elisha says, father, father, because now he takes him on as a son. And we know that when Elijah is taken, it says that his coat falls. This is very interesting because the coat represents the double portion. The court, re the, the coat represents the covering that is given to the son. And so we hear the story that Elisha hits the water and he says, is the God, you know, where's the God of Elijah? And we know that it splits up. And then the people that are following Elijah follow and meaning that we're going to submit ourselves to Elisha. That's what that means. We as Christians always say, hey, give us a double portion of your spirit. That is not what he's talking about. Because remember, the Holy Spirit was not given to all people yet. The Holy Spirit did not live in people till after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's in John 7, 39. That says, and this is what Jesus spoke of, the Holy Spirit that was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. So Elijah cannot give a double portion of the Holy Spirit to Elisha because the Holy Spirit is not given and they don't own it. So this is under the law. We know the story. We know the context. Yada, yada, yada. So when you hear a Christian say, give me a double portion of your spirit, that is not what they're talking about. Okay. As children of God, and I'm going to break this down so you guys understand. Okay. There's the firstborn that's born, which is Adam. 
And we know that the Behor is the one that gets the inheritance. We know that the firstborn after Adam is Cain. He's the firstborn of the fall. Now, we know that his name means to acquire. That's in Genesis chapter 4. He, um, they, they basically have a child, and the first one born is Cain. Now, Cain receives the inheritance because he's the older one. And the inheritance is sin, is the fall. And we find out later on that God ends up cursing him because he kills Abel. So that's the Behor. That's the firstborn, okay? Everything in Scripture is always about the firstborn, the firstborn always gets the inheritance, always gets the um, the double portion, always is the figure that transitions the, the, the values of the father into the other children and carry the name further. That's what that's about, okay? So we know that after the fall, Cain is the firstborn and he's the man of sin and he inherits sin. And because of that, all of humanity inherits sin at the fall because the firstborn is Cain. And when Adam fell, all humanity fell. Therefore, we receive the inheritance of the firstborn, which is Cain, which is the fall. And this is why a lot of us need to give our lives to Jesus because we're still under the fall. And that person needs to die because that is the behor. That is the man of sin. Guys, the reason you give your life to Jesus is because the first man of sin is the old man. He's the behor. And his inheritance is the fall. It's sin. It's death. It's hell. It's the grave. And all those things are still on you because the decree has not been removed. The decree to the fall is going to be there till the end of time because everyone who is born, who is not born of the spirit is born under the decree of the fall, which means that the sin man has the inheritance of the fall, which is everything that comes with it. This is why it says that the carnal minds are enmity against God. It's not subject to the laws of God. Neither can it be because we were fallen and we were trained in a fallen state. And this is why we now we have the mind of Christ, which means that we are to have the mind of the spirit to be spiritually minded is life and peace to be carnally minded is death. So we're training now in the new man, learning not to think as the old man. This is very, very vital, guys. So the reason that we give our lives to Jesus is because we are now in the new man. We're now in Christ. Now, remember, when Christ died, he died as the Behor, as the man of sin. He took on the identity of fallen man, okay? He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was not sinful. He did not commit sin. He came and he atoned for our sin by becoming everything that you were. So at the death, burial, and resurrection, we can now be raised in Christ when we take on his death. This is in Romans chapter six. If you know it, it talks about it, that we take on his death. We're baptized into his death and we're raised into newness of life, which means that we take on the death, which means that everything that we were, we become one with that death. And now we come up as the first fruits of Christ, which means now you're a child of God. This is very interesting because we lose this when it comes to Christianity, we lose the story of God. We lose how he doesn't order things and why it is that we need to give our lives to him is because the first man is the man of sin and that's everyone who's not born again. Now, regardless of where you're at when it comes to doctrine or belief system, a lot of people say, hey, I believe and I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just being honest. A lot of people will tell me, hey, because Jesus died on the cross, we all took on his death and I'm like, no, that's not true. I don't believe that according to scripture. If I'm wrong, I would like for somebody to show me, but until then, I believe that we have to accept who Christ is, which means that we come into communion, which means we come into agreement, which means we now take on the death. It doesn't say that we automatically, it says that we become one with him by, by submitting 
to what it is that he's done by faith, which means you have to believe that he died for you. You have to believe that he resurrected. You have to believe that you, you have to believe that because it's called faith. Faith without works is dead. So if you're going to believe that, you have to take on his death. Like, I believe that according to scripture, right? So I'm not one of these guys that says everybody saved. That's not me because I teach salvation as a walk. Is I don't teach salvation as, hey, I want you to get out of hell. My salvation walk according to the scriptures, the way I teach it is we're going to teach you to walk out the Christ all the time. This way, you're saved from everything that the enemy has towards you, whether it be sin, whether it be hell, whatever it may be, fear, uh, destruction, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, we walk out salvation. We don't call salvation a destiny. We call it a person. So I teach salvation as a person, which means that when you're in the Christ, you will be saved from everything that he came to save you from. That's what I teach, okay? So now, some people say, well, you think this person will go to heaven? Who's going to heaven? Who's going to hell? I tell everybody, look, that's above my pay grade. My job is to teach the children of God to come into the Christ so they can walk out who the Christ is for them, the Christ in them, the hope of glory. That's my job. My job is not to say who gets in or who gets out. My job is to get heaven into you so you can walk out what's been purchased through the death, burial, and resurrection so you can walk out who the Christ is on a daily that's salvation for me because a salvation is a walk. It's not just something that you say. Like I could tell you all day long I'm saved. I could say, you know, I'm saved. And then I would ask you, what are you saved from? Well, I'm saved from going to hell. Okay. What do you mean by saved by, you know, what do you mean by you're saved from going to hell? Well, that means I won't catch on fire and burn for eternity. Okay. But meanwhile, meanwhile, are you saved from all the, 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 the things that hell has for you. Are you saved from depression and fear and anxiety and hurt? And Are you saved from those things? They'll say, yeah, okay, so what does that look like on a daily? Because that's a salvation walk. We walk out the Christ, right? That's what I teach. So why is this important? Because as a child of God, as the firstborn, the first fruits of Christ, we walk out the character, not just the character, okay? We also walk out the values of, of who our God is. As children of God, we carry the values into the next generation. So here's what's happening, right? So in Exodus, when Moses goes to Exodus and he tells Pharaoh, hey, God said, let my people go, that Israel is my firstborn son, which means that um, his children are being raised under your house. Because remember, Pharaoh becomes a father to Moses, if you know the story. Moses is raised in Pharaoh's court. He gives him a name. He basically gives him his kingdom. He basically calls him certain things. And we, we know the story, right? He's raised in his court. He's raised with power. He's raised in the household of Pharaoh, which is very interesting because that represents who we were. We were taken captive, right? We were raised in the household of the kingdom of darkness. We were raised by the enemy. We were children of the devil. He gave us a new name. He gave us a new identity. He gave us these things, right? And so Christ came to set us free so we could enter the kingdom of God. In the same way, Moses he ends up killing one of the, uh, the, the, the guards or whatever. He ends up leaving. And then God speaks to him and says, hey, I need you to go back because he wants to use them, use him to set his people free. Now, remember, his people, the people of God, these people, the Israelites, the children of Israel, they're Jacob's generation, right? The children that came out of Jacob, if you guys know the story, you guys know the story of Joseph, right? So 
Joseph, same thing. He's the Behor. Now, you're going to say this. He's not the Behor because he's, he's the youngest. But he's the youngest, but he's the firstborn of Rachel. Now, this is very important. And this is where we drop the ball as Christians. Because as Christians, we don't understand what a Behor is. Rachel was the woman that Jacob wanted. You guys know the story. He wanted Rachel, not Leah. He worked for Rachel, but ended up with Leah. This is very important. That's kind of like you go to church and you're told you're going to get, you know, what your heart desires. If you keep, but what ends up happening is you get the traditions and you end up with something that you didn't want. <laughs> That's, this is what religion's all about, right? Because you come to God and you're like, I want this. I want that. I love you, this and that. And then you end up getting Leah. You're like, wait a minute. I was working seven years to get the heart of God. I was working seven years to be free. I was, and then I got, I got bushwhacked, man. You know, and that's what the whole story is about. That's the whole story, right? So anyway, he has to work twice as hard. And this is the thing. The law makes you work twice as hard to get what it is that God just wants to give you by faith, which is Rachel. Okay. So now, Jacob ends up marrying Leah and Rachel. Now, Leah ends up having 10 children, and Rachel ends up having two. But in the story of Joseph, she only has one. He's the behor. He's the child of promise that was to come from Rachel. The other 10, I hate this, and this is going to sound so harsh. The other 10, according to the story, really don't matter when it comes to the promise of God. Because you find out that, that Judah actually goes to Joseph and says, my father had two sons, right? You're like, wait a minute. Judah told Joseph, because remember, Joseph was dressed up as the prince of Egypt. They don't know that it's Joseph. They don't know it's their brother that they threw in the well. And, and Judah says, hey, my father had two sons. Wait a minute. That's not true. He had 12 sons. But even Judah knew. Look, only the two count because Rachel's his heart. And because Rachel's who he went after, those two children are the only ones that are going to get the inheritance. This is why Joseph, if you know the story, it says Joseph was the, um, the son with the coat of many colors. That coat represents the Behor, which means he's the firstborn son of Rachel. And because he gets the coat, it means he gets the inheritance, which means he's going to be the transitioning figure between his father and the other children that had come in line of Joseph, under the line of Joseph. This is why he had the dream that his brothers would bow down and they started getting jealous. We're not going to serve you, yada, yada, yay. That's because the job of the Behor is to carry the values and what it is the father has and he carries it through the firstborn son and that's the bridge that bridges between that generation and the next, okay? This is very vital. We don't talk about this stuff in Christianity, which needs to be brought back because we need to bridge the next generation to the values and the morals of what it is that God has brought into the kingdom. And I tell people, look, what about just valuing God? Can we just honor God? And we get lost in honoring God because we don't really understand the values that God is trying to bring to us into the kingdom of God through Christ because Christ walked out the values of God. This is why I tell people, look, man, you can't be a child of God and pretend you don't have some values behind it. You have to have the values of God. You have to be that transitioning figure between God and you and the generations that's to come. That gets lost. I don't know why, but it just does. So now Joseph, he's the Behor. And they threw him in the well. And if you notice, they took the coat from him. 
because the coat always goes to the firstborn son. He gets the double portion. Now, they take the coat back to the father, and we know that that ends up going to Benjamin. Because, remember, they believe that Joseph died. So it went to Benjamin because he's still the Behor, the firstborn. Now, remember, the inheritance was supposed to go to Joseph. But they threw him in the well, and they sold him into slavery, and he was in Egypt. Okay, if you guys know the story. <laughs> and they couldn't steal the, the inheritance from him because the inheritance was bigger than what they ever could imagine. His inheritance was so great that his inheritance was going to save all of Egypt along with the children of God. And this is where you get the children of Israel from this lineage. Jacob, Joseph, the children of Israel come from Jacob. So Joseph is a child of Israel and Benjamin is a child of Israel. Now these two children go into Egypt and they end up having 400 years of generations. And these are the children that are in Egypt. If you guys know the story, I'm kind of just giving you a little lesson here. So they're in Egypt now. So these are the children of Israel, which are the children of Jacob, because remember Jacob and Esau, there were two nations right now. The older was Esau and Jacob was fighting for the inheritance that represents back to Cain, Cain and Abel, the older, the younger, the older will always serve the younger. According to scripture, that's the way it always is, because we know that the old man, which is who you used to be now serves the Christ in you, which means the first Adam now serves second Adam. The second Adam is who you are in Christ. You're the Behor now. You're the firstborn. Now, what is your coat? You're probably asking, well, Pete, what, what's the coat? Like, where's the coat? If you remember, when Jesus, when Jesus died, his coat, they cast lots for it. Now, the coat that we get is not a physical one. Now, remember, Elijah, when he was taken up, his mantle, which was a coat, which is the coat that goes to the firstborn son back to Joseph that I just talked about. Joseph that was thrown into slavery. Remember, they took his coat from him. And if you remember, when he's in Potiphar's house, uh, Potiphar's wife takes his coat from him. So it's like they keep taking this inheritance from him. They just keep doing it. So what's interesting is that Elisha, his coat falls. It's an earthly mantle. And Elisha picks it up and puts it on, which carries the coat which is the Behor, the one that carries the inheritance. So he carries the values of Elijah. Elisha carries the values of Elijah into the people that he's training. This is where we get the word master from. We get the master from the word Elijah, which means rabbi, which means the rabbi takes, check this out, the values of God and teaches it to his pupils. And his pupils take the values from God and the rabbi gets 12 disciples and he disciples them. In the knowledge of God, in the values and the character of God, so they could also become teachers and so forth and so on. And this is what it's about, making disciples. The problem is, is we make disciples, but we disciple people under gifts. We disciple people under power. We disciple people under all these other things. But one thing we do not disciple them in is to carry, to carry the honor from one generation to the other the values from one generation to the other the values get lost in the sauce and the reason we do this is because we talk about hey man god loves us so much that hey he wants everybody to come in yeah but when you come in there has to be a change to your life you can't be the same because if you're coming in and you're not changing you haven't took on the values of your father you haven't took on the values 
of the spirit of the living God. You haven't took them on. So you can be spirit filled and not walk out the values of God. Now, this is very interesting because we call that the fruit, the fruit of the spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness. You know, you know the Francis in Galatians 5, 22, 23, and you read through it and it talks about, and that is the character of God, which is handed down from one generation to the other. Now, here's what's very interesting. The Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, I talk about this all the time. When the Holy Spirit comes, he won't speak of himself. He'll talk to you about Jesus and everything that was given to him. So he will remind you of the character of Christ. So here's what's interesting. So back to Exodus. You have the people of God who are enslaved by Pharaoh, who is now their father, which is now a false God, who's now putting lies on them, who has them enslaved. And God is telling Pharaoh, hey, through Moses, Israel's my firstborn son, which means you got to let them go because you're giving them the values of Egypt. You're giving them these false ideas, these false religions. You're, you're, sla- you're giving them an identity that is not who they are. In fact, they get their identity from their father. But now remember, the people of God were enslaved for 400 years And Pharaoh became their head, their father, their provider, their God, and everything that he was providing for them ended up molding them into a character and identity that was not even remotely close to who God is. So Moses comes in and says, hey, you got to let them go. But here's what's interesting. The only way that they can go free, according to scripture, is that Pharaoh's firstborn has to die. Which means that that generation has to be cut off because the firstborn of Pharaoh is what leads the generations. And it's, it's how they, it's the, it's the bridge. It's the, the figure that bridges this generation to this generation. So this is why they had to go free, but this generation had to be cut off. And the only way it could be cut off is that Pharaoh's firstborn had to die. Now we know that this is where the Passover lamb comes in. The Passover lamb takes the place of the firstborn of the house of Israel. This is very important because remember, we could not take on the death and burial and resurrection of the Christ under the old covenant. But what they could do was they could become one with the lamb that was going to be slain. That would take the place of the firstborn in the household. That's what the Passover lamb's all about. And I don't know why it is that we as Christians don't know this, but we need to know this because, you know, they, they tell me, hey, Pete, you know, have you, have you took communion? And I'm like, well, you know, it's called communion, but really we're taking, over, we're taking the Passover lamb because we're becoming one with the Christ that was slain for us. This is when death and all this thing comes at you and the enemy comes at you, sickness comes at you, cancer comes at you. It has no legal right over you because it had legal right over the old man. It had legal right over the man of sin. It had legal right because we were under a decree. It was called the fall. And so sickness and disease, devils, demons, and whatever you want to call what the enemy has towards you, you can call it whatever you want. It has legal right to you. It has legal right to you. Look, guys, people get mad at me because I tell people, like Christians tell me, hey, I need to be delivered. Hey, it's okay to be delivered. Look, we need to be delivered all the time. We need to go free from a lot of things. We need to go free from sickness and disease and certain things, right? So when people tell me they need to be delivered, I understand what they're saying. They need to go free from certain things. But they're not in bondage to those things in Christ. 
That's the key. The key is to understand you're not in bondage. You feel like you're in bondage. But the word says to us that he who the son sets free is free indeed. So you are free. You just don't know you're free. That's the difference. That's why the enemy deceives you in convincing you that you're a slave, convincing you that you can't go. This is what Pharaoh's all about in the story of Exodus. Pharaoh convincing them that he has power over them. He weighs them down. He lies to them. He gives them false gods. He gives them certain things and chores and puts so much weight on them that they could easily, they could easily come together and do an uproar over Pharaoh. Guys, if you guys know the story, Pharaoh knew this. This is why they were throwing the children of God into the Nile. If you read the story, they were saying that, hey, there's too many of them. In fact, they were getting maidens, right? They were getting um, maidens. They were getting um, the women that deliver the children of Israel. They gave a decree saying that whenever a, a man child was born out of the children of Israel, that they were to kill them. The handmaids were supposed to kill the firstborn. They were supposed to like strangle them. And it said that, that they weren't doing that. And so then he gave a decree that all the people, and this is so nasty how they did this, that the people of Egypt were given a decree that they could go and get a firstborn son and throw them into the Nile, which means that Pharaoh wasn't doing that. The people were literally going into the houses of the Jewish people and getting their children and throwing them into the river and drowning them. Hey, did you guys know that that is still happening now? Did you know that the government is not killing your children now? Did you know that we are literally telling other people that they can go slaughter children in the womb? We could literally, look, I'm not taking a political stance here. I'm just saying that everything that we're doing now has already been happening in scripture. It's been happening. The Lord wrote it down thousands of years ago. They were killing babies because they didn't want the promise of God to be revealed. And so they were killing babies. Now, remember that the God of this world, that the fall, now remember, the serpent wanted to destroy God's creation. It's in him to destroy God's creation. So everything that God loves, the enemy wants to destroy. And God loves children. He loves children. Even Jesus said, don't forbid any of these from coming to me. He loves children. So how much more to be enslaved to a false God? How much more to be told that you're something else that you're not? How much more to be lied to your whole life? How much more to be hidden from who your father is? And that's what the God of this world is doing. He's hiding who we are from us because he doesn't want us to know who our father is. He's like, don't let them know who their father is because once they find out who their father is, they're going to find out that they're strong and they have power over us and they might take their place in this world and they might do to us what we did to them. And that's the fear. That's the fear that Pharaoh had and that the people in Egypt had. They were afraid that they were going to be overthrown and they were going to be destroyed by the people of God. But it was never in their heart to do that to them, which is very interesting. So here's what's interesting. So Moses comes and he tells them, hey, you got to let them go. Because they're being raised with the values of Egypt. They're being lied to. There's these 10 gods, right? And they're all lies and they're being lied to and they can't go free. And this is their identity. Their identity is their slaves. Their identity is that they're producing for you. Their identity is that they're going to do what you tell them. But the reality is that God created the children of Israel all the way back to Adam. And they were supposed to lead the nations. The people of God were supposed to 
to, to subdue the earth with the understanding that we're to flourish and that we're all to move forward with, with, with honoring God, forward with the, the values of God, forward with, with the love and respect towards his creation. But what ended up happening is we lost it at the fall. We lost it at the fall. We know they end up leaving, and the only way they can leave is with the Passover lamb. Guys, this is very important because when we give our lives to Jesus, it's the same thing, guys. It's the same thing. The reason we give our lives to Jesus is because we were born under the fall. We were born in sin. We were born just like the people of Egypt. We were born in bondage. We were born in slavery. We were born being lied to. We were born with an identity that was not ours. We have a father before we give our lives to Jesus that is lying to us. He's called the God of this world, the father of lies, (laughs) right? And everyone who's not born again is a child of the devil, That's under the fathers of lies, who's living a lie, who's being lied to. It's called the Antichrist spirit that lives in everyone who's not born again. This is why you have to be born again of the spirit because that identity has to die. So when you give your life to Jesus, the behor, the man of sin, has to be killed. And this is how he's killed. But we don't teach that. So give us some thought. When people ask you, why did you give your life to Jesus? A lot of people will tell you, well, I gave my life to Jesus because I didn't want to go to hell. Okay. But what if I was to tell you that it goes beyond that? What if it goes beyond just not going to hell? What if it's about moving in to a kingdom? What if it's about having a father who now gives you power and authority over everything that had power and authority over you? What if sickness and disease had power and authority over you, but now in the kingdom of God, you now have power and authority over it? What if now instead of being afraid and worried, now you're confident and you're for sure because your your salvation is secure in Christ and now you're walking out the values of your father. Now you're walking and talking and sounding exactly like your father and you're bringing the kingdom not just with word, but with power. Scripture talks about that. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What does that mean? It means that we now walk in the power. And for those who believe, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. So it's not enough just to be born again. You have to become something. Now, how do you become something? Through the values. Through the values of your father. Through the spirit. Through the fruit of the spirit. You become like your father. Right? Which is very interesting. So now, when Jesus came. He came as the man of sin. He came as the first Adam. You know, I have a teaching on here that talks about the two trees, right? You have the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And according to scripture, trees represent people. How do we know this? Because you're supposed to bear fruit. You're not a bush. (laughs) You bear fruit, which is very interesting. And Jesus is the tree of life. And if you read your scriptures, which I know you do if you're listening to me, we eat from the tree, which we we eat from Jesus. Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. So we eat of the tree of life. So we become one with the tree. In fact, some get grafted into the tree according to the scriptures, but we become one with the tree. Jesus came as two trees. Hear me out. He came fully man and he came fully God. But one of these identities had to die. Why? Because he came fully man to take on your death, 
The resurrection was the Christ, which means that when we're raised in Christ, we're raised in newness of life, which means we become one now with the tree of life. Before you weren't one with the tree of life, you were producing death. You were a child of the devil. You had major issues. And that tree needed to die. That tree needed to be cast into the lake of fire. That tree needed to be burned up. Jesus came fully man, taking on the image and the likeness of sinful flesh. And so he came as the behore. He came as the man of sin. Now, what was in him was not sin because Jesus confirmed that there was no sin in him, that he had nothing to do with the God of this world. He had nothing in him. So we know that there was no sin in him. So he was pure of heart, but he looked like the man of sin. So he took on your debt. So he became that. So then the question is, how did he become sin? How did he become that? Did he cuss on the way to the cross? Did, and, you know, this is very interesting because I had this conversation with a good friend of mine. He said that when Jesus was on the cross, that it said, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then they would tell me things like this. The reason that Jesus said, why have you forsaken me is because God couldn't look on sin. So he had to turn his back on Jesus. That is not biblical and that is not scriptural. We know this because Psalms 22 will confirm that Jesus is confirming Psalms 22. And Psalms 22 talks about the crucifixion of Jesus. And when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalms 22 starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you keep going, it actually says that he did not hide his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. So God did not turn his back on Jesus. God did not hide his face from Jesus. What this means is he felt abandoned. He felt like he wasn't there. He felt because that's what a man feels. That's what a carnal man feels. He came fully man and fully God. So he felt betrayed. He felt like God had left him. But the scriptures confirmed that he never left him or hid his face from him, which means that in the true identity of who he was, he was not going to turn his back on him, was not going to turn away from him. This is very vital because everything that you were before you gave your life to Jesus was the man of sin, the one who had to die because you came as the behor, the man of sin. And now in Christ, you're the behor now, which is the one who walks in newness of life. So you have an inheritance now. So here's the beautiful thing about it. Before you gave your life to Jesus, you had an inheritance, a earthly one, a carnal one. In fact, you even had, you had earthly faith, according to scriptures. Uh, I think it's 1 Peter 1, 9 that says that reaching the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So we know that, you know, everyone was given the measure of faith. So everybody was given faith. But according to Galatians 2, uh, 2.20, Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, which means that when you're born again, you're raised by his faith, not yours, which means that he gives you his faith. He gives you his life. He gives you his power. He gives you his kingdom. He gives you everything that he is because as an inheritance, that's what you get. You get everything that he is. So what does this mean? This means that now when you're raised in Christ as the behor, you now have the coat. But then you'll say, well, what coat do I have? I don't have a physical coat. Where, where, where's my coat? It's called Pentecost. <laughs> the Bible says that the spirit was poured out 
on all flesh because this is the covering of the Holy Spirit. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter one. We know that when Adam fell, the Bible says he was naked. That word naked is a, a room. It's a Hebrew word that means subtle. It's the exact same word that is used when it talks about the serpent. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any creature that God had created. And he said God had created. Now, that word a room means subtle. But that word a room also means naked, which means nature. Which means that when Adam... He said, I hid myself because I was naked. What that saying is, I hid myself because I was a room, because I was subtle, because I was naked, because I became everything that the serpent became. This is why he hid. He took on the nature of the serpent. And the scripture says that we were by nature the children of wrath. So we took on the nature of the fall. We took on the nature of the serpent. Now, people will argue this. No, we still have a sin nature once we're born again. No, we don't, because as the born again experience, as the new behor, Jesus does not have the sin nature at the resurrection. He's, he's seated on the right hand of God. He's in glory, and he even comes back. He says, uh, spirit doesn't have flesh and bone like I have. So we know he came back without the nature because we know that he shed his blood. Leviticus 17.11 confirms that the life of the flesh is in the blood. He poured out all his blood because according to Isaiah 53, 11, it says that he poured himself out as a sin offering. Now we know that uh, Leviticus 17, 11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Therefore, he poured out himself. He poured out the blood. He poured out everything that he was as a man. And now in the resurrection, he's now walking around with the spirit of the living God on the inside of him, which means that he has the full nature of God. And the Bible says that in him was the full deity in bodily form. So we know that Jesus had the full nature on the inside of him. But the other nature had to die. Now, my question is, did that nature fully die? Yes. So if we take on the death of Christ, it means that that nature has to fully die in us as well. So then the question is, why are we walking around having all these issues? And then you have people quoting Romans chapter 7, all oh, the things I want to do, I can't do, yada, 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 the whole back and forth. But we know that he's talking about those that are under the law because in Romans chapter 8, it says, for you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of Christ lives in you. So this back and forth is this issue that we have, right? Because we're having these two wars on the inside of us. And the war is the mental capacity how can we hold together everything that we are in the christ without sliding into the old man without sliding into carnality without sliding into what we used to be and this is what romans chapter 12 verse 2 is talking about do not conform to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind which means you have to train your mind not to think as the firstborn man of sin the old man that ephesians chapter uh 422 is talking about all the way through put off the old man put on the new why because you're no longer the old man you're the new man and as the behor as the one in christ you now have to think like christ and the scripture tells us you have the mind of christ and this is what the training is all about i know guys we make it about hey say this prayer right hey do you, you know if you say this prayer you know and you give your life to jesus you're in okay so let me ask you this you say the prayer, but then the question is, will you now walk out the character of what it is that you asked to move in? That's the question. Will you now submit yourself to the spirit that you once, that you now said yes to? That's the question. 
Will you not submit yourself to honoring God? Will you not submit yourself to walk out the character and the nature that you become one with? That's the question. And we don't teach that anymore. We just say, hey, you know what? Let's just, uh, you know, let's just come to God with all our needs and he'll fulfill all our needs. You know, the Bible says that he'll provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. And yeah, he will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory, according to his riches and his glories, not according to your riches and your glory. And he does say he'll provide all your needs, not all your greeds, according to his riches and glory. And that's the problem that we have when it comes to ministry, unfortunately. That's a lot to chew on right there. So why do we take the Passover lamb, guys? We take, over, we take on the Passover lamb. When we take communion is because we become one with the Christ. We become one with them when we take communion. This is why a lot of people are dying and getting sick because they don't even know why they're taking it. They're just saying, oh, I take it just to be obedient. But at least know why you're doing it. Why are you taking it? Because when you eat the bread and when you drink the wine, you're becoming one with the Bahor, which is the risen, risen king. And once you become one with the risen king, you not have to walk and talk as a risen king. Not that you are the risen king, but that you take on the nature of the risen king. That's what it's all about. Okay, I'm reading this. Sorry, I should have saw for myself that my righteousness was nothing but filthy rags and Jesus died to take that away. Well, here's what's really awesome. When we read that scripture about my righteousness, see, under the law, See, righteousness, and this is where we drop the ball. Righteousness is always something that's done. Okay? Righteousness isn't like, oh, well, I'm right standing with God. That's not what righteousness means. Because we were made righteous by the law, through the law, which means the righteousness of the law, which means that you walked out what the law said. That was called the righteousness of the law. It's called good works. That's what righteousness means. When you look up the word righteousness, it means action. It means Good works. Jesus went around doing good. That means he went around doing righteous things. Righteousness means doing good. Now, we could never do good the way God wanted us to do it under the law because it says that what the, what, the, what the law could not do, that it was weak because of the flesh, right? Because it could not do what it wanted to do because of the flesh, it was weakened by the flesh, which means that the law could not do what it wanted to do because we had flesh. That God sent his son the likeness of sinful flesh, condemning sin in the flesh, which means that we now walk out the Christ because we no longer live in the flesh. So now we walk out all the things that Christ asks us to do because everything that the flesh is telling us not to do, we mortify. So if the flesh tells you, hey, don't go over there and pray for somebody, we mortify the deeds of the flesh and we walk out his righteousness, which we walk out who the Christ is to good works. We think that righteousness is like, well, you know, I'm right standing with God. No, you're right standing with God so you can go and do the works that Christ did. This is why it says faith without works is dead. If you really do believe in the Christ, then you can walk out who the Christ is. If you don't walk out who the Christ is, then you really don't believe who Christ is for you. And if you don't walk out who Christ is for you, those are called dead works. But then you're like, wait, but that's the law. No, no, no. See, that's what he tried to say. The law... We could never walk out what Christ wanted us to do under the law. Here's what I mean by that. You could not lay hands on the leper. You could not forgive people of sin. Only God could do that. You could not heal the sick. You could not raise the dead. You could not go to a Gentile. You could not, the law wouldn't allow you to do all these things. The law could not do that. 
Now we're free from the law. We're in the law of the spirit now, which means that the law cannot bind you now, which means that the law will always give you um, a, a limit of what you can and can't do. Here's what I mean by that. Watch this. I'll give you a perfect example. Jesus said this, that unless you forgive your brother, God won't forgive you. That's what Jesus said. He said, unless you forgive, your father in heaven won't forgive you. That's under the law. Remember, Jesus hadn't died yet, which means that sin hadn't been purchased yet, which means that you couldn't even forgive anybody anyways. You couldn't do it. Nobody could forgive of sin. Nobody. But Jesus says, unless you forgive. So now under the law, you can't forgive. You can't. Under the law, you say, I pray God forgives them because I don't have the power to forgive. This is why Jesus said that the power to forgive has been given to the power of men for forgiveness of sin, which means that now man can forgive other men. Before, they couldn't do that under the law. Under the law, I could not forgive another person. That was, that was what sacrifices were for. That's what God was for. I'm not God. I can't forgive them of sin. I can't. God forgive them. I can't forgive them. I don't have that power. That's under the law. So Jesus said, unless you forgive your brother, your father in heaven won't forgive you, but that's the law. Because Paul says that for Christ's sake, we forgive because we've already been forgiven, which means we forgive because we've been forgiven. We don't forgive to be forgiven. That's the difference under the law. And the law says that the same measure that's given to you, the same measure that you give is the same measure you're going to get. That's under the law because the law says what you give is what you get. That's what he's saying. He's saying that under the law. Now, remember, everything that Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all that was under the law. We don't ever talk about this stuff. I hate to tell you this. Every person that Jesus talked to when he was teaching, he was not teaching to a Gentile. Because scripture says that you can't cast your pearls among swine, which means that everything that Jesus said in red when he's teaching is to a Jew. Unless it's a Gentile who's asking for something, and he'll say, it's not lawful to give the children's bread to the dogs, but then he'll do it anyway because he finds mercy and he does it. But everything that he's saying is under the law, guys. He says, I've only been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Everything that Jesus said and everything that he did was under the law because he was going to fulfill the law so he could separate them from the law into the law of the spirit. We don't teach this. And it's funny because we, we take the quotes of Jesus when he's under the law and then we use it. But wait a minute. He was under the law. He was bringing us out of the old covenant into the new covenant. It's totally different now. I can't train people the way he trained the 12 disciples because the 12 disciples did not have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. They weren't born again. They weren't Children of God born of the Spirit. That didn't happen until Pentecost, until he breathed on them. These are two different animals. I know I had to say the word animals. But they were not born again. None of them. When Pentecost came and when the Holy Spirit moved into them, they walked out the Bahor. They walked out the full portion of a born-again believer with all the inheritance that was given to them. Before that, they were just being trained. But they didn't have it yet. And this is the issues that we have as Christians because we don't know the difference. Just because it says New Testament doesn't mean you're in the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't start until Jesus says, this is my new covenant, and then they drink from it. That's the new covenant. Until then, there is no new covenant. I know you get it and you say, hey, Matthew, Mark, and Luke's the New Testament. That's not the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't start until he dies. 
It's crazy. The New Testament doesn't start until he dies. And believe it or not, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus wouldn't have, Jesus couldn't have took on a Gentile and trained him. He couldn't have. It was against the law. And he didn't come to break the law. He came to fulfill it. We know this because in Mark chapter 5, there's a demon-possessed guy in Gadarenes, right? And Jesus sets him free. And he wants to follow him. And this is the only time in Scripture that Jesus tells somebody no who wants to follow him. And that's because he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. And he's in Gadarenes. And it's against the law. And he won't do it because he can't. Because he didn't come to come against the law. He came to fulfill it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. There's a lot of things that Jesus could not do, not because he didn't have the power to do it, but because he didn't want to break the law. We forget that. He didn't want to break the law. He came to fulfill it. So look, hear me out. I'm in Christ, but there's some things I I will not do. Why? Because I don't want to go against the character of God. I don't want to go against honoring God. There's certain things I will not do because I don't want to transgress certain things. Right. And I had this conversation just today. Right. I had this whole transgender thing. I said, look, the first word is trans. You know what trans means? (laughs) That's where you get the word transgression. Transgression means going against something. Transgender means you're going against something, means you're going against the respect of something. Did you know that the fall in the garden, they transgressed? which means they went against the respect of God, which means God said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Out of respect for me, I'm commanding you not to do that. That's called transgression. I just went against what you told me not to do, which means that there's borders put up there for a reason. There's a reason why we don't do certain things because it's out of respect and honor for God. And God wants to flow through us in a respectable and honorable way. He doesn't want to go against his own nature. He doesn't want to go against his whole identity. He doesn't want to go against himself because the Bible says that a kingdom divided cannot stand and a double-minded man won't receive anything that he asked for. So why would he go against himself? So the issue is not that God doesn't want to do it. The issue is that we don't want to line up to what it is that God is telling us to do out of honor and respect for him. And when we don't honor God, we transgress. And that's called sin. And a lot of us don't talk about that. We don't talk about what sin is. We don't talk about. And living in the flesh is transgressing. According to Romans chapter 8. It says that those that are in the flesh cannot please God. Your identity is in the spirit, not in the flesh. People tell me, but God's already pleased. If he was already pleased, why would it say right here that those that are in the flesh cannot please God? Because what he means by cannot please him, which means you can't do the things that God is asking you to do. You can't do them if you're living in the flesh because you're going to go against everything that he told you to do. You're going to fight. You're going to bicker. You're going to get mad. You're going to get upset. You're going to act carnally. You're going to do. And that's the old man that Jesus came to kill on the cross so you could get away from that. And that's where freedom lies. Freedom lies when you understand that you're in the Christ now and you don't have to respond out of the old man. You don't have to respond like that slave in Egypt. You don't have to respond like that carnal man. You don't have to respond with that anger. You don't have to respond. You You don't need to act a damn fool. Come on, man. You don't need to do that anymore. You have power over that now. Remember that had power over you, but now you have power over it. And how do you train into this? You train in the spirit doing this. Well, how do you do it, Pete? I'm telling you, this is the foundational. This is the foundational teaching of everything that we need to know. Why am I born again? Why did the old man have to die? Why am I in Christ? And how do I learn to walk this out? And how does the power flow? 
The power flows in the child of God who honors God, who has the heart of God, who understands who he is and is not being wavered and is solid, is solid in the things of God. And this is what we need to teach. We need to teach people, hey, let's quit messing around now. Let's quit playing around. Let's get serious about some stuff. You know, I see these revivals happening everywhere, and I'm like, you know what? That's crazy cool. That's awesome. But what happens when they leave? What happens when they go home? And it's crazy because what I'm seeing right now is I see a lot of a spoon-fed, a lot of spoon-fed stuff. I mean, it's like selling crack. I hate to say this. I, I used to be a crack addict. And it's like people are addicted to what it is they're getting at these services, and they need a fix every Sunday. They need a fix Every, every time there's a sermon, they need this fix, right? And it's like, did you know you can live in that fix? You can live in that reality. You can live in that state of being constantly. And people are like, well, I'm, I'm hungry for God. I'm, and it's like, we're supposed to have the hunger for God. We're supposed to, But what happens when you go home? Are you, are you going home in that reality? Are you allowing that, that reality to, to expand in your house? Are you taking it home with you? Or are you just coming, taking a hit, and then going home, and then living like the devil, and then taking another hit? And then, I mean, come on, man. Like, and everything that I'm saying was me. Everything that I'm saying was me. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, man. I was out there traveling the world, healing the sick. Everybody was looking at me like, oh, he's a mighty man of God. And he has all, and you know what? I'd come home and I would treat my wife disrespectfully. And she wouldn't say anything because she was trying to honor God and she didn't want me to look crazy. And she could have went up, put me on blast, but she didn't. Right. And I'm out there and I'm like, I'm the man of God. God is using me. God. And you know what was crazy about all that? That was all carnal stuff. And that took me years. I didn't have men of God around me. They're like, hey, Pete, you acting a fool. Hey, man, don't do that. And you know why? Because I would buy people's tickets. I would do certain things and they'd be on board with me and they didn't want to say anything because they felt like, oh, man, you know, he, he's helping us out. He's, you know, he's giving us a platform. He, he's, we're with them. Like, who are we to go? And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. See? No. Uh-uh. I learned the hard way, man. I almost lost my marriage. I almost lost many. I almost lost everything because I had too many people around me. They were like, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. And I just, I was so afraid. It was the craziest thing. I was so afraid to be honest with people because I didn't know what it looked like. I hadn't seen it modeled out. I hadn't seen it modeled out. And as much as I wanted to be honest with people, as much as I wanted to tell people what was going on with me, I couldn't do it. You want to know why? Because I was seeing other ministries when people would get, come clean and they would destroy them. They would come against them. They would bash them. And, and I would be like, what is going on? This look, hear me out. I'm I'm about to get so raw right now. I'm gonna get so raw right now. Hear me out. We teach that we are children of God and we're forgiven. We always want what God gives, but we don't give what God gave. We wanna be blessed, but we don't bless anybody. We wanna be forgiven, but we don't want to forgive anybody. We want a second chance, but we won't give anybody a second chance. We'll tell everybody that God will never leave you, but at the same time, we'll turn our backs on you when you do something we don't agree with. God will never fail you, but I will. God will never turn his back on you, but I will. God will always be there for you, but I won't. God will always, no, no, and, then, and then this is what we say at the pulpit, and, as long, and when, then when there's someone around us who falls on their face, we bash them. We bash them. That's the most hypocritical. That's so much hypocrisy, it ain't even funny. It ain't even funny, right? So let's say you mess up. Watch this. Let's say you mess up, and you do something that you shouldn't have done. As children of God, 
We're supposed to bring people back right standing. Now watch this. Let's say there's a man of God who messes up. I messed up. There's a lot of men of God who messed up. So is our job to get them right standing with God so God can keep using them? Or should we bash them and destroy their ministry because they hurt our feelings or did something that was so despicable? Which one? See, but then we become the issue. We don't become part of the solution. Because now we're going to condemn a man of God because even though he repents and even though he gets better and even though he does everything that's required, we're still going to bash him because God forgives him, but hell, I'm not going to. <laughs> I ain't going to trust him. I'm going to preach about it and I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to get up here and be super real about how awesome God is. But to you, I got no mercy. Come on, man. That is hypocrisy at its finest. And there's a lot of men of God out there. That when somebody does something that they don't agree with, they're right away quick to bash him, right away quick to condemn him, right away to spread gossip, right away to put their thumb on him, their foot on him, and talk trash and jealousy and all this thing starts happening. I'm like, hey, 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 where's the character of God at? Is God going to bash him like that? Is God, like, I'm just being honest, man. That stuff irritates me, man. Everybody's going to have issues. Guys, I don't know if you know this or not. And this is you guys listening. Hear me out. Everyone who's listening, you know who's going to be in heaven? Not perfect people. Not people who have it all figured out. You know who's going to be in heaven? Forgiven people are going to be in heaven. And what do forgiven people look like? There's going to be rapists in heaven who are forgiven, who stop. There's going to be murderers in heaven that are forgiven, who stop. There's going to be adulterers in heaven who committed adultery and went to repent. And we're forgiven. There's going to be child abusers that forgave, that God forgave because they repented. There's going to be all these people that we can't stand who came to Jesus. And Jesus came to forgive us, to find that which was lost. And guess what? We were all lost. But we don't like what it looks like. And guess what? Because we don't like the way it looks like, we ain't letting, in, we ain't letting you into our mental heaven. We ain't letting you into our kingdom like, I don't know what God's going to do with you, but I don't want nothing to do. Like, that's not even God, man. That's not even God. Look, if somebody messes up and they repent and they give their lives to Jesus, our job is to restore them and help them back into the fold. I know a lot of men of God that don't do that. As soon as you mess up, oh, they're done. Good thing God don't think like that about you because I'm sure there's things that are hidden in your heart and in your mind and things that are there that you will not say and things that are going on that you don't know, but God knows. And yet, even though God knows, he don't condemn you. You know what he does? He tries to bring you to a place where you can repent, a place where you could get real with God and say, you know what, God, I got some issues in my heart. I got some problems. I need to talk to you, God. I need to get in prayer. I need to get on my face before you. I need to get real. I need to get transparent. I need to get honest with you, God. Let me get honest with you. And you know what? There's certain Bible studies you can't go to because you get so serious. They get scared. I'm going to tell you this right now. Well, I was just having this conversation with Pastor Will, a good friend of mine. I said, there's some Bible studies I can't even go to. He said, why not? I said, because I get so real that they get scared because they're thinking now because he got so real. Why is he looking at me? Because I'm here to be transparent. I'm here to tell you, you know, God is working on certain areas in my life and I don't have it all figured out. And I think Jesus came for the broken. Jesus came for the lost. Jesus came to help. I think Jesus knew we were all a mess at some point. I think he has enough patience and long suffering to work with us. But the question is, will we work with each other? Will we be here for each other? Or will we just claim that we're righteous and we've been made perfect and that I'm a prophet and I got all these things and, and you know, I'm the man. Like, wait, 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 what good are all those things if you can't even use them in the service of God? 
If you can't use all that to bring people back right standing with God, then it's just about you building a ministry. It's about you just building your own kingdom. It's just about what you want instead of what God wants. And that's the issue that I had. And that's the issue that a lot of men of God have. And I just decided, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that no more. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to be real. You know what? I don't, I don't agree with that. I'm going to tell you why. I don't agree with this. I'm going to tell you why. I don't, you know what? Because God don't like that. Well, who, what do you know what God likes? I read his word. It says right here. He don't like that. He says, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. God. God's pleased with me, but he ain't pleased when I get in the flesh. Why? Because I get carnal and then I do things I shouldn't be doing and I'm disrupting the love of God. I'm disrupting the household of God. I'm becoming an issue. I'm becoming this ox who's muddying the waters. I'm becoming this, this beast who's, not, who's drinking from the water and eating from the vineyard, but at the same time, I'm making a mess. I'm, I'm stomping around. I'm making a mess. I'm just, I'm being stupid. I'm being carnal. I'm talking about God's love and how awesome he is, but at the same time, I'm stepping on you and I'm making a mess here and I'm talking trash. Been out of the same mouth, I'm praising God on Sunday. And then the next day, I'm trashing you with the same mouth I'm giving glory to God with. That's the issue we're having. Am I ranting? No, what I'm saying is there's some honor. There's some values that we need to talk about. Guys, I'm going to be honest. Like, I have children. And I had this daughter. I had this talk with my daughter. Right? And, and we, this is a thing that I'm just saying. Is, 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 it's something that's spreading like wildfire, right? Um, it's the transgender thing, right? And I just said, look, wh- why can't we just honor God? Why can't we just honor God? Can we just do that? Let's just not even, look, and you can't even say sin anymore, right? Because sin, as soon as you start talking sin, people are like, oh, you know, no, no, no. Let's, let's remove the word sin. Let's just talk about honoring God. Can we do that? Let's not talk about sin. Let's just talk about honoring God. Can we do that? Does that honor God? Yes or no? Let's just talk that. Does it honor God? No. Then don't do it. Then don't do it. Oh, well, you know, I'm under grace, and because I'm under grace, I can still do it. Okay. So now you're saying you don't want to honor God. Is that what you're saying? Well, he understands. Okay. He understands what? That you don't want to honor him? Okay. And because he understands you don't want to honor him, what's that mean? What's that mean for God? Does that mean that God's now, you know, because he gave you grace and because he gave you love and because he gave you his son and because he gave you all these things. So now he's just going to be like, okay, you know, I love you so much. Go ahead and dishonor everything Jesus did on the cross. And that's all right. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that one bit. I don't believe that Jesus died on the cross so we could dishonor what he did. I think that he died and showed us what it was to suffer, to suffer, to show us that it's not about what I want. It's about what he wants. It's not about what I feel. It's about what he feels. It's not about my mission. It's about his mission. It's not about me coming to get what I want. It's about coming to give you what he wants. It's not about me building my kingdom. It's about building his kingdom. It's not about me speaking my words. It's about him speaking his words through me. What if it's about not what I want? Wait, wait, is that, is that Christianity when it's talk about pick up your cross and follow me? Wait, pick up your, okay, so that means I have to pick something up that's heavy, something that's burdenful, something that's going to hurt, something I'm going to uh, 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 eventually die on, which is the cross. So I'm to 
pick up my cross that I'm going to die on. And through carrying this cross, there's going to be some things I ain't going to like. There's some things that are going to make me mad. Some thi- Wait, wait. One of the fruit of the Spirit is called long suffering, which means you're going to suffer a long time. But why are we suffering? Why are we suffering? You know why we're suffering? Because we're not giving in to what it is the world wants to do. And that's why we suffer. We suffer because we say no to that. No to this. That's why we suffer. We don't suffer because I didn't get the new Cadillac. I don't suffer because my rent didn't get paid. I don't suffer because I'm hungry. I'm suffering persecution because I refuse to not honor God. That's why we're being persecuted. We suffer when we stand for righteousness. We suffer when we stand up to God and say, hey, I'm not going to do this, God. I'm going to honor you. I'm not going to worship the golden calf. I'm not going to bow down to the enemy. I'm not. No, I'm not going to do it. Oh, well, if you don't do it, we're going to turn the furnace up seven times. Even if you don't show up, we still ain't going to bow. That's called suffering. Did you know that the Bible tells us that Jesus learned obedience through suffering? How do you learn obedience through suffering? You learn to be obedient and then you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. I'm sorry. I'm not going to teach that you're not going to suffer. You're going to suffer. How do you know? Long suffering is one of the fruit of the spirit that we don't talk about. We talk about love. We talk about peace. We talk about joy. We talk about self-control. We talk about goodness. But we don't talk about long suffering. That's a fruit of the spirit. You're going to suffer a long time as long as you're following Christ. Why? Because I will not submit to the lie. I will not submit to that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And you know what the world is saying? Well, then you're going to suffer. We're going to take your, we're going to take your, uh, your 501c3 from you. We're going to take your church from you. We're going to take your right, take it off. It ain't even mine anyways. That's all. It ain't even mine. And guess what? I train in suffering. I train in, I tell people, learn how to suffer now. Learn how to suffer now. You think it's hard now. I tell people, you think it's hard now? This is nothing. This is nothing. We're in the U.S. talking about we suffering. Really? I seen a guy over here on the corner, homeless, living better than most of the cats I seen in Kenya. I seen people in Kenya suffering. That's suffering. Homeless, no shoes, out there starving to death, skinny as heck. You got, you got soup kitchens out here. I mean, this is paradise to a Kenyan. <laughs> like, this ain't suffering. We just become lazy. But the reality is that we have the Christ. And we're supposed to be walking out the character of Christ, which is very interesting. And hear me out. Come on. Let's talk about the goodness of God. Can we talk about the goodness of God? The goodness of God hurts. Did you know that? Did you know it hurts? The goodness of God hurts. It hurts. You don't believe me? Jesus went around doing good. And you know who hurt him? People. Why? Because he was going around doing good. Because he claimed to be one with the Father. Because he claimed, I only say what the Father says. That's why they beat him. That's why they hurt him. That's why they mocked him. That's why they spit on him. Did you know that? Because he was going around doing good. And guess what? The people he was being good to are the people that did it to him. And I talked about this last time. Moses said, God, show me your goodness. And God showed Moses his back. His goodness. And I always thought, why why, God? Why, Father? Why, Lord? This is me talking. This is how I talked to him. God, why, why when Moses asked you to show you his goodness, you, you showed him your back? Why, why did you cover 
his eyes and show him your back when later on it says that he was talking to you face to face. But why in the mountain did you show him your back? Like why? What, because they hadn't come into covenant yet. They weren't into covenant yet. He was there, but there was no covenant yet so he couldn't show him all that he was you can only show him his back and i'm like but this is but what does this mean and this is what jesus did jesus came under the old covenant and he showed the people his face jesus showed his face to the people showed his goodness showed the people his face showed him his works showed him everything that he was he said, look, I'm showing you who I am. I'm showing you my goodness called righteousness. He walked out righteousness. He fulfilled. He said, I must, you must baptize me, John, to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill all goodness, the goodness of who I am. I came to make good. I have to fulfill it. And the only way I can do it is if you baptize me and I become the sacrificial lamb. And now I can walk out everything that I'm supposed to walk out because I'm supposed to die. And I'm going to walk out my goodness. So he showed people his face. He showed people who he was. He showed his goodness. He showed humanity all that he was. He showed them that he was a servant. He came to serve. And he showed his goodness. And they rejected him. And you know what Jesus said? He said, even if you reject me, even if you reject this new covenant, even if you reject me and you're under the old covenant, I do like I did Moses and I'll give you all my back. And they whipped our Messiah. They whipped the goodness of our God. He gave them his back and he said, I'm still going to give you my goodness. I'm still going to show you my goodness. Whip me. Do whatever you need to do to me. Nail me to that cross because I came to fulfill the goodness of God in your life. That's who I serve. So when people say, hey, you can do this. No, 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 no. He came to show you his goodness and you love him so much for what he's done. I say, I could never do that again. I could never go smoke crack again. I could never do the things I've done. I could never do those things ever again because you showed me all your goodness and you laid it down. And with your last breath, you said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But now I know what I do because I'm a child of God. So now that I know who I am in Christ, now I know what I do. That's the difference. That's the new covenant. Old covenant, they didn't know. They were under the law. He showed them his back, showed them his face. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he says that he will guide you into all truth. Which means when you have the Holy Spirit, when you have the Holy Spirit, I cannot say you do not know what you do. Because <clears throat> the Bible says he will guide you and teach you all things. And he will tell you what to do. And he will tell you what's wrong and what's right. And he will tell you about Jesus. He'll tell you how he lived. And we can't say it. Oh, forgive, forgive that Christian for he knows not what he does. No, he knows what he's doing. He just doesn't want to listen. He doesn't want to submit himself. He doesn't want to give himself to God fully. He knows what he's doing. He knows that's wrong. He knows that ain't right. He needs to repent from that. He needs to get on his face. He needs to get real with God. He needs to get real. You can't say that to another Christian. Oh, forgive him for they know not what they do. No, you know what you're doing. And according to 2 Timothy, I think it's 3.15, it says that all scripture was given 
for correction and reproof. It's what it's given. It was God breathed his word. It's what it says that it was all given. In fact, let me read it. I'm, I don't want to misquote it, but here's what it says. Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in goodness is in righteousness. That means in goodness, which means it's all supposed to be aimed at doing good. It's all aimed at doing good, not your good, his good, his righteousness, not the law's righteousness. This is where we lose it. Here's where we, we drop the context Oh, my righteousness are filthy rags. Yeah, under the law, but now you walk out Christ's righteousness and he didn't give you filthy rags. He gave you the coat. He gave you the Holy Spirit. And now you don't have filthy rags. You have on his righteousness, which means you need to go walk out who the Christ is, which means you put on the Christ. And those aren't filthy rags. That's the life that was given to you through the death, burial, and resurrection. And that's, you're talking about the old man's filthy rags, the old man's way of living, the old man. Yeah, those are filthy rags. But the new covenant, you've been given a new coat. And it's the Christ. And you're to put on the Christ. You're to put on the armor. You're to put them on. Put off the old, put on the new. These aren't filthy rags. These are the Christ that you're putting on. He's not filthy. No. Your mind might be filthy. Your mouth might be filthy. The way you think might be filthy, but the Christ in you is not filthy. And if we could learn to put him on, then we could walk out his righteousness. And that's what it's all about, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen. So what am I saying? you're the new man you're the new man or the new woman in christ which means you have all the inheritance that christ has you're his first fruits you can walk them out you can walk out in the kingdom of god you can walk out power you can walk out everything that he is and you know what you could do it 